there and joining in. Now, this evening, I am joined by two wonderful Catholic Americans with a good dose of Irish blood in them as well, which I think they would possibly credit a lot of their Catholic upbringing to, perhaps. E. Michael Jones, Dr. E. Michael Jones and Father Charles Murr. How are you both doing? Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Same for me, Gemma. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor to have both of you back. And we were going to start this evening, gentlemen, um, with this story in Ireland, in the land of saints and scholars. Mm. Now, prayer is going to be outlawed in certain areas. Now, this story, which is on the Catholic Arena site, is claiming that this is to do with Roe v. Wade and that the government here is so frightened of uh, people praying at abortion locations that they have decided to ban. And they will arrest anyone that is praying, saying the rosary, which has become a thing in the last couple of years outside hospitals that are carrying out the the murder of the innocent. What are your thoughts on this, Father Charles? Oh, what what can my thoughts be other than uh, that it's a... I think it's typical of the left. I think it's typical of the left because they cannot stand any form of real criticism. Just can't stand it. Uh, we were just talking before the program uh, with you and, and Dr. Jones. I made the comment anyway that I've never seen, never realized anyway in my lifetime uh, how close-minded uh, people on the left are. I just, I never realized that until now. You can't, I, I tried speaking uh, with with people on the left. I, I was for the longest time in San Francisco, California, which is the uh, the left, uh, the, the left part of the world. Uh, the, beyond that, you fall off the edge of the earth. That's so far left. Uh, you could not talk about, about certain things. You couldn't even mention them. And I also noticed something else about the left that was that's uh, I'm getting a little bit off track. Then I'll give it back over to you. A lack of humor, humorless, humorless, the the inability to see through something and and find humor at the end of it. Amazing, amazing people, the 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 uh, the the close mindedness. And and it's really dictatorial. They're 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 really little dictators. Anyway, I, I find this whole thing of not being able to pray. What do you mean not being able to pray? If are they looking for a way also to control my mind so that I can't pray even mentally in in certain places? They would they would do it. I'm sure if they could. Anyway, that's that's my take on it. Very interesting. It does show though how fr- they they obviously feel great fear at the idea of a group, and they're usually, to be fair, elderly ladies with rosary beads, very threatening people, that they would be so frightened of people like that. Yeah, very threatening legislation. Yes. What what do you make of it, Michael? Yeah, well, if it weren't threatening, why would they ban it? That's that's the whole point. And and what you're seeing here is a reaction to, uh, I think, what happened in America when Roe versus Wade got overturned. This is uh, the part of the hysterical reaction that's emanating from America now, certain segments of America. Uh, and I, I suppose, given what happened, they have a right to be afraid. I mean, I, I myself stood out in front of a abortion clinic and prayed the rosary once, more than once. 
during the during the 1980s, and and that was my little contribution to this uh, this crusade. And it turns out that after 49 years, it worked, uh, and the, the it was overturned. And now there's going to be big debates in places like uh, the state house in Indiana, and so on and so forth. So they they have every every reason to be afraid. Uh, but the problem is that once they do this, they show their hand and they show the, they show that uh, basically it's, it is a form of control. It, it's a And as um, Aldous Huxley, one of those Englishmen that you like so much, um, <laughs> who was plugged, plugged in with the oligarchic establishment, the Huxley family was a very important family. They created Darwin. His grandfather created Darwin. But uh, he said, uh, wrote a book called Brave New World and talked about forms of control. And he said, uh, pleasure is always a much more effective control, form of control than, than pain. And, and beyond that, the best form of control is the one that you don't see as a form of control. Well, once they do this type of stuff, they're showing their hand. And that means that uh, they, they don't have an argument anymore. That's always a bad sign. And, and that they're willing to throw you in jail because they can't defend their position. So this, this is the end. I, 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 I'm, I, people always accuse me of being wildly optimistic, but I'm saying there's, this is an end game scenario. When they have to do something this stupid, like branding prayer, you know they're desperate. And so I think that should be consoling for the rest of us. Very, very good point. Yeah, I mean, this Absolutely. article highlights some of the threats that... Antifa have put these, you know, rosary groups under and uh, actually quite a few Americans. And it's quite interesting. They, they, I mean, they definitely have sent Antifa types over here to infiltrate um, the, the left in Ireland. And, you know, but they throw eggs at these people saying the rosary. They hurl abuse. And uh, it's it's very that's just unheard of in Ireland. This is a Soros-funded operation. It clearly is. As, where as where, where as are the police? Go ahead. Sorry, uh, Mike? Where are the police when this is happening? Isn't this known as assault? Isn't this a crime? The police would be doing everything to assist Antifa in whatever violence needs to be carried out against these Catholics. That is the function of the police in Ireland now. And I can say that because I've personally been a victim of it. So sorry, Father Charles, what were you saying there? No, I was just I was just going to uh, uh, remark at something Dr. Jones said that that I reading reading one of his books years ago was made aware of when he was talking about pleasure being a, a, a tremendous form of control. Uh, Dr. Jones, you just want to give that that uh, that, that happening with the with the uh, the televisions being turned off and and. Uh, 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 and and pornography uh, pornography being put being put off a broadcast. What was that? Remember that you 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 wrote about that. The, in, uh, you mean the, libido, libido dominandi? Yes. Book? Yeah. Yes. So, uh, sexual liberation and political sexual liberation. Right. The, the right. part that you were, you were talking about the electricity went off. They 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 they, they turned off the electricity in, in a whole in a whole region. And started broadcasting pornography. No, no, that was that was uh, the uh, the Israelis invaded uh, Ramallah. Yeah. Uh, yes. They didn't they didn't turn off the electricity. They did the exact opposite. They had to leave the electricity on because they took over the TV stations and started broadcasting pornography over the TV stations. So I gave that talk. It was completely suppressed by the media over here. I gave the talk. 
uh, in Switzerland, and there were Palestinians in the audience who were there when it happened. I gave the talk in Washington, and same thing, there were Palestinians in the audience. So it, it really it really happened. And again, they showed their hand. They showed their hand. Yes. Now, this was this is also interesting because Jews were always involved in the promotion of pornography. And over the course of time, the CIA understood and the Shin Bet in uh, in uh, Israel understood it could be used as a weapon. And it's a very effective weapon uh, because it, it, it involves pleasure rather than pain. But right. it's it's a weapon nonetheless, and and the Israelis used it, and they were they've never admitted, it, and they've always been ashamed of using it that way because it explains what's really going on in the culture at large. I just I found that example. I found that example uh, stunning when it, when I when you, when you you wrote about it. I found it absolutely amazing how pleasure could be used as a real weapon. Yeah, I, I just I, I I just thought you should mention it right now because I think it's fantastic. Yes. Fantastic for uh, there's a, uh, there's another another example of this. I just finished an article on uh, dope in Michigan, the yes. legalization mm -hmm. of marijuana. This is also in Huxley's book. Yes. He yes. calls it soma, but it's basically a drug that keeps you docile and happy. And I think this is the culmination of the war, uh, the civil war in the United States that was uh, raging in the 1930s when Wall Street. Uh, was involved in trying to get a United States into the war, the Second World War, and the resistance all came from Detroit. Well, these people have never stopped waging war on Detroit and the state of Michigan. And the latest way is to get uh, people to smoke dope. And the best way to do that is to legalize it. I know the guy who did, uh, was engaged in the legalization, quote him in the article, but uh, he got money from George Soros. George How surprising. Soros money. How surprising. I know, I, I know every, everyone's shocked to hear this, but and yeah. he got this, this Jewish lesbian elected attorney general, uh, and she will no longer prosecute crimes. She goes, she will no longer prosecute drug crimes. So basically, you've got an entire population now that should have made this transition uh, into the next generation of the working force, all off in the woods smoking dope. Uh, and that's rendering them happy and docile. I don't know how happy they are, but they certainly are docile. And, and, and the result is chaos. People are not producing. They're not, they're not reproducing. It's just chaos and nobody, and everybody's too stoned to understand what's happening. Well said. That's it. No question. Yeah. And that sums we've, it up. we've been talking a lot about how the UN agenda involves putting pornography onto the curriculum. And, you know, we were called every name of the sun for under the sun for suggesting that conspiracy theorists, of course. But a couple of weeks back, or maybe it was last week, the Irish Independent, which is the biggest daily here, obviously, it's hemorrhaging circulation now. But um, they led with the fact that pornography is going to be introduced on the junior cycle curriculum. So it was there, you know, I mean. It's exactly as you say, Michael. I mean, it is it is a weapon. And once they sexualize children at a very, very young age, that it's it's sexual abuse. It's child abuse. And you're creating another generation of psychopaths who will do the dirty work for the cabal, for the banks, for the government, for the health services, lots of vaccinations, etc. You know, that's that's why they do it to these poor children. Well, it, yes. certainly create, it certainly creates a whole generation and or generations, plural, of, of non-thinking people. 
Yes. Very uh, people easily manipulated. Yes. This, this, this. It's a, there's always been a conflict here between keeping people docile among the oligarchs. You want people docile, but you also want them to show up on time at work and you want them to fix your refrigerator when it breaks down. And they've never resolved that conflict. There's no way to resolve it. You can't have both of them at the same time. Either you have an intelligent workforce that can produce wealth and run the, you know, run the economy, or you don't. And if you don't, uh, you're ultimately going to be left in the middle of all your machines when they break down and no one will be able to fix them. So think about that. I know, which actually brings us quite nicely into a clip that I wanted to play from our friend, in inverted commas, Noah Harari. I'm not sure if you've seen this particular one. It's it's astounding. Um, let me just bring this in. Of see the gods, according now, to various we'll have a listen. It's short. It's short. You think about the abilities of gods, according to various mythologies, we are now acquiring these abilities to ourselves. Like um, in the Bible, God is the creator. His chief power is to create. He creates animals and plants and humans according to his wishes. Now we are gaining this power to create life, just like God. And in a way, we even go beyond the biblical God. Because even if you believe the Bible, the only thing God managed to create are organic uh, beings. All these trees and giraffes and humans, they are just organic. But we are now trying to create inorganic entities, inorganic life forms, cyborgs, artificial intelligence, and so forth. If we succeed, and there is a very good chance we will, then very soon we will be beyond the God of the Bible. So there you have it. I mean, this is what it was always about, to be beyond the God of the Bible. And the best that they can come up with is that God only created organic life. <laughs> this guy is ridiculous. Here, yeah, I mean, this, is. This, is, this is a one-man refutation of the myth of Jewish intelligence. This guy is the dumbest guy who's ever written a book. And he's the world's smartest Jew at the same time. This is ridiculous. <laughs> first of all, first of all, he doesn't even know what creation is doesn't know what creation is. He thinks, oh yeah, I heard that word creative. I know creative. No, that's not what creation is. If you had any philosophical education, you would know that creation is not change. Creation, creatio non es cambio. Creation is not change. What he's talking about is change, which is going from one state to another state. That's all that can happen in nature. That's all that human beings can do. What is creation? Creation is totally unique where out of nothing, something comes. Something comes out of nothing. That only God can do that. And Harari, the world's smartest Jew, hasn't figured that out yet. This is ridiculous. The guy makes a fool of himself every time he opens his mouth. You know, I was actually thinking that um, I was w wondering, you know, it, is he actually controlled opposition, but on our side, because he is so idiotic. I mean, he's Klaus Schwab's right hand man. He's, you know, the face of the World Economic Forum. And he believes that history began when humans invented gods and will end 
when humans become gods. I mean, God only created, he only created giraffes and he only created elephants and he only created beautiful babies and this planet, like, you know, he's no good. This guy's going to be able to create cyborgs. <laughs> Father? You know what I heard? I heard something. I heard what you heard, what the two of you heard. But I heard something also, uh, something a little bit different. I heard his whole rendition of Genesis. <laughs> I heard I heard what he was talking about was his rendition of the temptation of the devil in, uh, in, in the garden. You know, you can be more than God. You can be at least God. And being by being in par with God by eating this fruit, by, by disobeying God, you can be like God. Uh, this man actually takes it a, a step further. You can be more than God. That's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I mean, that, that, that really is, that's astounding. I, I, I'd like to be, I'd like to live a little bit longer to see how that's going to work out for him. <laughs> Not so well. Not oh, so well. Ridiculous. Michael? Ridiculous. <laughs> it's enough to make a grown man cry. Why is it? No, why it is, is. Any, why is anyone taking an ignoramus like this seriously? Why is anyone doing this? Well, he's because all over because the the, because the Jews control the media, and if the Jew says it, it must be true. That's the only explanation here. Nobody, nobody, anybody. Is there a phil, is there a philosophy department that can defend this 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 rubbish? No, he, he makes a complete fool out of himself. This, the, 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 but the point that Father's making here is that this man never got beyond Genesis. He saw oh, those never. who believe in the Bible. Well, never. you happen to be one of them. Noah, <laughs> you see, you keep talking about Genesis, even though you're not letting us know that that's what you're really talking about. That's where you got the idea. Oh, and what you're really saying is that you're in rebellion against Genesis because you're, first of all, because you're a Jew and you hate the Logos, but secondly, because you're a homosexual and your whole life is uh, devoted to the uh, uh, an attempt to refute the message that God put, put into human sexuality. You think you're beyond that. You're not. You're below it. You're not even rising to the level of rationality here. Just explain, Michael, to people who this guy is, though, um, who may not be people who may not be aware of him. Well, I, I mean, if you want uh, my uh, my real my deep take on this, by Logos Rising, because uh, he is the the uh, focus of Chapter Two. Chapter One is the four atheists, uh, two of uh, whom are dead now, I think. But uh, and their use of Darwinism. The one thing these guys have in common is Darwinism, and the one thing the reason they use Darwinism is because they think they can get from uh, from nothing to something when you can't do that. So Harari wrote a book called Sapiens, in which, which is the prelude to this, basically. He hints at it at the end, you know, we're going to achieve this godlike state by following what he says, and so on and so forth. It makes one philosophical mistake after another throughout, or throughout the book, and then comes to the culmination, which is basically, yeah, it's going to be this brave new world. Well, guess what? We're in that brave new world. Okay, and what 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 is it? What does he mean when he says we? Is he talking about the entire we, the human race, human beings? No, he's talking about Klaus Schwab. He's talking about the World Economic Forum, and he's talking about the Jewish oligarchs who are going to run our lives uh, as they see fit. So, if you think that's uh, a great idea, well, God bless you. I don't. 
We've had enough experience already with our lives being run by Jewish oligarchs, the people who gave us abortion, the people who gave us pornography, the people who gave us gay marriage, the people who gave us wars in the Middle East, the people who gave us the war, current war in the Ukraine, even Jeffrey Sachs now, who is no saint, who orchestrated the looting of Russia under Boris Yeltsin so they could put the money in the pockets of other Jewish oligarchs. Even he is now saying that this Jewish hegemony has got to end. He calls them neoconservatives. He's referring specifically to the war in Ukraine, but he goes back to the war in Syria, the war in Iraq. They've had their day. How much longer do we have to put up with these people and their constant bloodlust? whether it's war or abortion or whatever it is, how much longer do we have to put up with this? I'm saying the, the, the message of the overturning of Roe versus Wade is that it's the beginning of the end of Jewish hegemony, but only if we're willing to stand up and say we're not going to take it anymore. Absolutely. So powerful. Uh, Father, you ran a very busy parish in Manhattan. I think I'm right. It was in New York anyway a for many of them. years. Yes, a couple, a of, couple them. of them. Yeah, three. Today, I, I was watching some footage that somebody sent to me and it was so horrific. It was basically, I don't want to even use the word, you know, I don't want to use the word orgy, but that's the only word that we can use to describe it on a subway in New York and you just think how far America has fallen how far the West has fallen um, how do you feel about you know the degeneracy that America and Western culture has fallen? well you know Gemma uh, the Italians have an expression that I that I use often and it's really a good one you'll you'll, you'll they'll talk about something like this a theme like this will be brought up and it, and ultimately someone usually sitting off to the side will just say al peggio non c'è limite to the worst there is no limit no. <laughs> you can you can always get worse you can it can always be worse and every you know it's it's i see something today and i say to myself I, this is it I, I know exactly the clip that you're talking about. Somebody, I, I saw it on my own. Somebody didn't send it to me. Oh, I saw really? It on my own. Okay, yes. Uh, yeah, it's incredible. It's it's absolutely incredible. Uh, when you've got people almost almost naked sliding up and down uh, subway cars, yeah. rats running up and down poles, I, it's it's really, it's amazing. You say to yourself, and, and I said it when I was watching it, it's, this can't be worse. And you know what? I'm wrong. Because tomorrow or the day after tomorrow, it will be worse. There is no limit. There is no limit to how bad things can get. It's just, it's amazing. Uh, you have a lot of people, as you, we were talking before, who don't have jobs, who don't have education, who don't have anything. They don't have lives. What they do have is a lot of free time uh, to do nothing, to do, to destroy, to, do, to live destructively. What what other country in the world, maybe some European countries, maybe, maybe, maybe. But where do you find this outside of the, the outside of the West, outside of the West, the, the secular West, where people have this free time 
uh, even even we're talking about groups in the United States that violent groups uh, uh, that that have arisen in the last few years to protest. Where do they get the free time to protest? When we were in San Francisco, we had a March for Life, uh, Walk for Life uh, every year. Last last year, it was attended by by over sixty thousand people. It was amazing. Uh, but, but along the way, there are protesters, and you've got these are great families, people, husbands, wives, children marching peacefully, quietly. Some praying, some just walking. Pro life. That's all down Market Street in San Francisco. The, the attacks, the, the screaming, the, this, they're, it, they're horrible. But I kept saying to myself when I was seeing this, where do these people find the free time to be here? And uh, one of the leaders of the, of, the, of the pro-life group told me, well, it's, it's called Rent-A-Mob. You, you, uh, the left has has people they call up and they just show up and they're, they're paid and and they're they're there to protest and they work on a on a uh, immediately. There's a lot of organizations. There are a lot of organizations and organizational skills behind uh, behind the the calamities that we're suffering right now. But I would say something else too. I don't think it's as big as it appears. I don't believe that it's the it's not the majority. Certainly, it's not the majority of the United States or France or England or Ireland. It's not that. It's a minority, quite vocal, quite vocal and very active. But they're far from the majority. We are still in the majority. This is the sad part. We're 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 asleep on the job, but we're in the majority. They're just louder. Okay. I when you look at these people you feel the only thing that can help them is the hand of God into their lives. And I, you know, I, I was sort of reminded of when I went to the home of St. Michael, the Archangel in, in the beautiful Gargano Peninsula in Italy. And I was there for his feast day a couple of years ago, and it was the most beautiful experience. Every single person from the area out praying the rosary for 24 hours solid with his statue and everyone was involved but in the beautiful chapel I, I don't know if either of you have been there it's right up on a mountaintop it's it's one of the most magnificent sites in Italy but they've built a chapel over where he appeared and St. Michael the Archangel and while I was there, they have some sort of like cells down in the in the basement, right underground, where they carry out uh, confession. And there was a priest carrying out an exorcist at the time on a young woman. And it was quite visible because whatever way they, you know, there was a little bit of privacy, but not much. And, you know, you could see the calming effect that he was having on this woman who was clearly very disturbed and you, you just feel that, that this is this the only way the only way that these people can be healed is through the love of Jesus and they're not getting it anywhere they're not allowed to get it they're not getting it in school they're not getting it at home and it's so sad I, I think too uh, if I could just jump in with this theme uh, the theme of, of happiness we're, we're, we all pursue happiness. It's one of one of the one of the uh, the parts to our to our uh, uh, 
what is it, our Declaration of Independence, or, or what, did, what did Jefferson write? Dr. Jones, you're good. I, I stumble at these things. Life, the, uh, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Of happiness. It's, I've it's been pursuing natural. it my entire life. You been, have you found it? <laughs> <laughs> when you find out where it is, would you send me a note? <laughs> no. no. The thing is, look, the three of us are, are laughing. This is, this, is, this is what I was saying before. This doesn't exist really on the left. They're not happy people. They're not happy people because you can't be happy. You can't be happy without God. You can't be. You can't be. If you're if you're if you're without God, you're living a life without purpose. And that's it. And you have these people are living a life without purpose. It's it's that simple. Uh, uh, one of the Dr. Jones, who are these the two brothers? One is an atheist. They were both atheists. Uh, English, they are. Hitchens. And, uh, Hitchens, yes. Yeah. Well, Pe gave, Peter, Peter and Christopher Hitchens. Peter and Christopher. And Peter is the, is the new theist? Uh, one, Peter, one, of them, one of them has, has found the faith. Yeah, that's Peter. He's an Anglican. Yeah. Uh, uh, Chris, Christopher's, right. Christopher's dead now. He died of cancer. He was one of the oh, four. I'm sorry. Angels. I didn't even know he was sick. Oh, he's uh, dead. He died. He's, he's uh, and do you know where? Do you know where he is? Oh, you know uh, he's dead. No, didn't. He we, didn't we don't know where he is. That was the priest who went to a wake, and, and they said there's no need, Father, for prayers. He was an atheist, and the priest looked down in the coffin. He said, "All dressed up and no place to go." <laughs> anyway, that's it. But the the thing is, the two brothers were talking, and they were talking about the reasons for believing in God, the reasons for not believing in God, right? And they were, they were good. I found them uh, interesting, interesting. But Peter at the end said, God, no God, yes, no, this back and forth. He said, I can hear all of the reasons for God and all of the reasons against God. But what he was saying is, my life is now a happier life. By believing in God, I have purpose in my life. I'm happy. I haven't been this way ever before. He said, if for no other reason, people should believe in God for what I have right now, for what I'm experiencing. I thought, very good admittance. There are other reasons, of course. But that's really, that's really the, the conclusion of it, the, 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 the expression of it in, in, uh, in our human existence is a happiness. An assuredness, a happiness. Uh, I told you the last time we were we were uh, we were speaking. You said, uh, "Why are you so happy?" And I said, "Well, I'm not particularly so happy. I mean, I'm not, right?" But uh, I said because I read the end to the end of the book, and at the end we win. We we win, and just knowing that gives a, gives a, a satisfaction, a great satisfaction, and a happiness and a hope to continue on. These people on the left who hate God and who hate the things of God and who hate everything that has anything to do with beauty, truth, love, they don't have that. And they're, they're not happy. It's like G.K. Chesterton at the end of his uh, the, the Song of the Stranger Static said, uh, now he, what is it, how does he end it? Now he that runs can read it, the riddle that I write of why this poor old sinner should sin without delight, but I, I cannot read it, although I run and run of them who will not have the faith, nor will they have the fun. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that thing. Anyway, I'm, now I'm preaching, so I'll shut up now. No, no. 
Michael? Yeah, that, the Hitchens brothers are an interesting phenomenon. Uh, tell me, you, tell you, me more. Uh, I, I don't know whether you ever ran into Paul Vitz during your time at. Uh, Excuse me, he, uh, he he I he directed my thesis. Okay, good. So you know who he is. Well, he wrote Great a book. Man. Go, a book called Faith of the Fatherless, and the theory was that uh, basically it's a variation on Freud. God is an exalted father. Uh, and uh, he, uh, Freud understood it in one way. Paul Witz understood it in another way. Uh, I think it's true. You get your understanding of God from your father. Yes. And that's uh, the, clearly the state of the, the uh, Hitchens family. But the question is, which father are we talking about here? So their father was a war hero uh, during World War II. But then he was also uh, demobbed. Uh, de uh, uh, they, they decided to downsize their Navy, uh, the basis of British power. And he was out of a job and he ended his life as a kind of accountant, uh, a kind of insignificant job. So which father did they have? Well, Peter was the, chose the war hero and Christopher chose the, the accountant. So now we're into a different realm here. I mean, I think Paul was right. I think you do get your idea of God from your father. And if you have a weak or inadequate father, you're going to have a, a try, have trouble putting trust in God. But there's an element of choice here, too. And I think the difference was that uh, Peter chose the will is free and he chose one way and Christopher chose another. And the fact of the matter is that Christopher's choice was conditioned by the, the life that he led. And so uh, abandoning your wife when she's pregnant and running off with another woman is going to cause guilt. And once you have that guilt, how do you deal with it? You can repent, uh, but they didn't come from a, a, a religious background that would be conducive to that, or you can become even more rebellious, you can double down. And that's what uh, Christopher did. He became a flaming atheist, made a total fool out of himself, just like Harari uh, mm -hmm. in his book, where he started talking about, uh, again, he all of his ideas came from Darwin, and he started spouting off about how the eye evolved. The eye cannot evolve. Sorry, it has to work. Either works or it doesn't work as an eye. And he's talking about light-sensitive cells. Well, uh, Christopher, either those light-sensitive cells can see something, in which case, they are already an eye, or they cannot see something, in which case they will never be an eye. And you're too stupid to see that because your mind is, has been darkened by lust. It's that simple. So I, I, I have to, I, I take the position, I took it in the book, in Logos Rising, that atheism is not uh, an ontological issue. It's a psychological issue. And Paul Witz was right. Yes. I think you're absolutely right. We had just just to add to that. That uh, uh, let me just tell you this real quick story. It's it's not all the the, the what you get for, from home from mother and father. That's certainly a major part of our development. It really is, but it's not everything. And as Dr. Jones was just saying, alluded alluded to, uh, the, there's free choice. There's choice in the matter. You can make some free choices and overcome a lot of things. We had an, uh, the Archbishop of Guadalajara, who, uh, the, the uh, very old man, the man uh, I was working for, was an absolute saint, an absolute saint, a very a marvelous man. He was giving a talk to Christian mothers, about 300 or so. 
in the retreat house and all, all these women. And he was saying basically uh, that, that if their children grow up to be good practicing Catholics, uh, it's a credit to them. And if not, it's a discredit to them as mothers. They're the ones who are, who are managing this whole thing. Well, I was in the back listening to him and I, I, I saw what he was trying to say, but I disagreed uh, without saying it. At the end of his talk, there was a woman who, who only she could pull this off, a, 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 very, a very sassy woman, great, great gal, but she stopped and she knew the Archbishop very well. And she said to him, uh, Your Excellency, that talk that you just gave on the responsibility that the mothers have for raising their children and their, 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 their development, their success or, not, or non-success. She said, how many children did your mother have? And the Archbishop answered, he said, two, two. He said, you have another brother? He said, yes. And that brother is? <laughs> she, she, she finished it, her own sentence for him. She said, that brother is a Freemason deputy in the pre-government, and you are the Archbishop of Guadalajara. How did that happen? <laughs> you both had the same education. You had the same mother, the same father, right? How did that happen? Somebody took some free choices, the brother, to, to, to advance his own career, uh, made some free choices. He sold his soul to the, to the government and went that way. Uh, the archbishop went another way. But they both had the same, the same experience. The same, they came from the same stock. The point was that at one point or another in their lives, they made a free choice. The brother, who became a Freemason and a deputy in the government, died in that position. Very unhappy man, married, divorced, uh, just a, a wreck of a life. The archbishop died always with a smile. He lived always very charitable, and he lived a good life and a happy life. But I'm saying they came from the same background. It really comes down to also free choice and to say, just a minute, I'm going to go this way, not that way. It, uh, we have to take personal responsibility for a lot of things. I think Freud is very interesting, and I studied him for a, a long time at NYU. Uh, as a matter of fact, we had the last Freudian professor there, retired, uh, retired while I was there. Uh, but it's not all the responsibility of someone else. It's not the, the parents. And we've got a lot of people, a lot of people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s who are still lamenting uh, uh, Problems they had when they were five years old with their mother or their father. They haven't figured this out yet. Good Lord. I know. <laughs> it's it's I mean, time to get on with life and be happy. Move. You're so right. And Father, that is, the you know, to a large degree, what happens with a lot of people of our generation, say 40s, 50s, 60s and older in Ireland who, you know, they had a bad, a terrible experience with the church. And, and in some cases it was terrible and it was, you know, destroyed their childhoods, but they're still holding on to it. They can't let go. And it's so sad because they know deep down that it wasn't Jesus that was responsible for what happened to them. Um, you know, they know why it happened and it might be something very, very minor, 
but they're they're missing out on so much. They really, really are. But I, I mean, I think for parents, Gemma, it, I've known I've, I've known people who have not who have not had anything to do with the church for over forty and sometimes fifty and sometimes sixty years, because a priest didn't give them a quarter when they asked for it in nineteen forty seven. Yeah. I mean, are, if I if I could jump in here, these are known as screen memories to use Freudian <laughs> yes. analysis, yes. which is yes. basically no, you're go. looking, you're rummaging through the past to find a pretext for your rejection yes. of God. Yes, That's what's exactly. Going on exactly. Exactly. And you know, I've got to say something too. Let me just finish with this, Gemma. You, you're very lucky in the traditional construction in Ireland. You don't have basements, do you? No. That's very good. We have basements in the United States. And those basements, to a great degree, are filled with 35 and 40-year-old boys who are still boys who won't leave home, right? Because they haven't taken personal responsibility yet, right? Yeah. Good thing, good, good thing. The Irish were thinking and not putting basements in. That's, that's one way of looking at it. Yeah, that's one. What do you think, Michael? I think that we have to... You know, we have to have compassion for these people. I know what's I know the story. They've told me the story over and over again. But the fact of the matter is that they fell into a trap because no one warned them that the traps are out there. So what was the trap? Pornography. It's addictive. Don't get involved with it because it will ruin your life. It will make you incapable of relating to the opposite sex. Some someone didn't tell them that someone told them instead, if you go to college, you'll you'll uh, have a successful life. So you can go into debt. So you've got people who are addicted to pornography, who are sl debt slaves, who can't form relationship with other people, and they're leading hopeless lives. We owe them some type of help, at least by the way yes. of explaining what's going on. And if you choose to, you know, if you choose to basically lock yourself in your prison uh, every night, well, you know, that's your problem. But uh, there is a way out, and I think we have to show these people the way out. And I think we ha we have, we have. I can tell you a lot of people. I just got a uh, email today from a guy who's going to become a father uh, because he listened to what I said. Not only did he listen to it, he did what I said, told him to do. So he got married, and now he's going to have a child, and he's on his way to a successful life. It's not easy. It, you'll be a struggle to the day you die, but at least right. you're on the right path. And you're not stuck in the basement watching pornography. Right, right, right. You said it. Yeah, you said it. Now, I don't want to um, depress everyone even further, but, and, you know, we've every reason to be optimistic. But speaking of who, fathers. Who's that, who's, that, who's that guy in white? Well, you should know. Now, we have to pray for the Holy Father because he's under the grip of some very serious demonic influence and his visit to canada has i mean talk about things going from bad to worse can i just play this clip of him actually um in which he is very very insulting to the christian missionaries who brought civilization to so many parts of the world including many many irish priests and nuns so let, let's just play this clip Forgiveness for the evil committed by so many Christians against the indigenous peoples. So, have you been following this? 
uh, look, uh, yeah, I, I'm trying not to follow it. It's so painful to watch the Pope put on an Indian headdress and make a fool out of himself. I'm trying to be a loyal Catholic here, but the fact of the matter is that this is one more disastrous misstep on a part of a guy who's being run by Jesuits who don't know what's, what, what is going on, certainly not in Canada. Canada, that whole residential school scandal has been completely debunked, but apparently the memo didn't get to the Pope. This is this is tragic. I don't know why why are we being I don't know why we're being subjected to this. It's a trial that all Catholics have to go through, uh, a trial for their faith. And uh, let's hope yeah. that the, the trial we succeed and we move on after this guy uh, goes to his eternal reward. It, it's so interesting, uh, Michael, though, just if you could explain a little bit on the Canadian thing, because we had two big hoaxes that they brought up in the run up to the uh, abortion referendum in Ireland. They're very similar to what the Canadians were put through. We we had one, you know, the Tum Holocaust, which never happened, whereby they claimed that the nuns had murdered all these babies and thrown them into a septic tank. It never happened. And then we had the case of an, an Indian woman who died uh, as a result of being denied an abortion in a Catholic hospital. That never happened either. She died as a result of hospital neglect. But they used these two scams to warm warm the Irish people up, who are profoundly pro-life people, probably among the most pro-life people in the world and proud of it. But they warmed them up by using these lies to turn against their Catholic faith and to create a sense that, well, maybe abortion is needed in some very, very rare cases, you know. They were play, tugging at their Christian hearts. Yeah. And, you know. For, for, first of all, first of all, uh, first of all, where are the? Who are these Indians? They, they, I did an article a while back. A sociologist in uh, a Canadian sociologist talking about said by the 1970s there there were no Indians. There were what? What do you mean there were no Indians? Well, the fact of the matter is that they completely intermarried with the French, with the French voyageurs. You know, it's it's uh, this is so. So you have an instance uh, where Canada uh, basically gets transferred from the French to the English. The Presbyterians show up in uh, 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 Nova Scotia. And they announce uh, that they are bringing Christ to the people of Nova Scotia. Well, the people of Nova Scotia had French and the Micmac had completely intermarried. They've been there. They have been Catholics for over a century. And uh, they announced uh, that, uh, no, we, we already are Christians. We're Catholics. No, no, you're not Christians. This is the English. This is the Presbyterian. The Presbyterians were basically the uh, the British Empire at prayer who was going to force the British Empire onto these people. They ref Not only did they refuse to speak English, uh, they refused to talk in Micmac, they refused to speak uh, French to these people. This is total British imperialism. Okay, but the point I'm trying to make here is that even then, in the 18th century, these two groups had totally intermarried so that by the 20th century, there were no Indians. They didn't exist. They had completely intermarried with the native population. And what happened over the course of the, the, uh, the, the 1970s in Canada was basically an imitation, a recreation of Indian identity. In, some, in a kind of imitation of what was going on in America with the civil rights movement, okay? So that's the, the big context there. 
And secondly, what what is this based on? You dig up some bones. Uh, that's isn't that what happened in Ireland? Somebody discovered some bones in a field, and you dig them up, and suddenly it's an atrocity. But to get back to the Indian thing, wait a minute. They didn't wear headdresses like that. That's a Hollywood headdress that the Pope just put on. The Indians there didn't wear There may have been the Sioux Indians in America or something like that. This is not Canadian. It's completely phony. It's completely bogus. And we are all being subjected to this, this charade here because it goes along with the anti-Catholic narrative that these former colonies ha are invested in right now. Former colonies like Ireland and, and Canada and Australia. I know. I mean, I, I was actually thinking about his words there, Father Charles, before I bring you in. And I was thinking about when St. Patrick came to Ireland, you know, it was a land of the most barbaric practices and people slaughtering their children like they do now. Um, and he managed by bringing the gospel to them to make them among the most devout Christians in the world. And, you know, Pope Francis is insulting Saint, the likes of St. Patrick, the Irish apostle, uh, and so many of our great saints who and our great priests and our great nuns who had such a civilizing effects in, in parts of the third world, brought so much comfort, opened hospitals, opened schools. He's insulting all of those people. But look, I don't believe he's in control of his mental capacities anymore. God bless him. And, you know, he's controlled by very dangerous people, which, Father Charles, you've written about, of course, in your your new book, uh, murder in the thirty third degree, isn't that right? About the the influence. Of I, I, I wrote I wrote about uh, and 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 uh, Dr. Michael Jones was, was kind enough to uh, uh, to do a recommendation of the book too, uh, which I thank him for. Uh, I wrote about what happened in the nineteen seventies, what I saw, heard, and lived in the nineteen seventies in Rome with uh, with Cardinal Gagnon. You, you know, I've got to tell you this. I was just thinking as you were talking, why would anyone want to go into a situation and remove the effects of Western civilization? Why would you do that? We're, all of a sudden, we're apologizing for Western civilization. Uh, it, it's amazing. I've, I've got to tell you one, one funny thing that I always thought in, in, when I was in Mexico. You would talk to, the, to a, an average Mexican they're very, the Mexicans, I think, are, the, are some of the finest people in the world, uh, marvelous people. But you would talk about to the Mexicans and the, or listen to them. I would listen to a lot of what they had to say. And they would talk about the glories of the Indians, of the Maya and of the Aztecs and what they did and what they produced and this, that and the other thing. And all when they, they wouldn't quite complete that when they were anti-Spain and anti-Spaniard, the, the Gachupines, the, the Spaniards did this and they destroyed this. And, they, and I always rem, I always listened to, to what they were saying with half a smile, because if you wanted to praise a Mexican, the, the, you would refer to his Spanish ancestry. Or where did they come from in Spain? And they would puff up. Oh, well, we, we were from Valencia. Our family came from Seville, our, this, that, and the other thing. And to insult them, if you, you would insult them tremendously if you called them an Indian. 
But when you listen to them talking, they they raised the the Indian culture to the to this fantastic status that was that was superior to anything that the that the missionaries or the Spaniards brought with them. They destroyed all of this. Apocalypto, the movie by Mel Gibson, I think is I think everybody should see that. It's, what a great movie it is. It shows a little bit of the reality of what the Spaniards, what Western civilization came to see, came here and found when they came to the New World. Whether it be in, in uh, uh, with the Indians in, in what is today Canada, the United States, all of South Central and South America, they came into places with with that really stood in need of civilization. Now. <laughs> People are free to run back to the jungle and live there in the jungle if they want to, but that's not what anybody really wants. Uh, so it's it's they're 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 uh, I you know I don't know I'm, I'm getting off on a tangent, but it's it's a shame to see the faith that we had destroyed, the culture that was ours destroyed, everything everything that that's good. There's a lot of good in Western civilization. It changed the history of the world. What a dignity it gave to human beings. Imagine the, imagine the missionaries. You don't have to imagine. You can read their, 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 their uh, reports of it when they came upon the Aztecs tearing the hearts out of thousands of, of, of young girls and young men to, to offer it to the sun as, as, uh, as sacrifice. This is the way they were living. Thousands, thousands of people were killed to sacrifice to the sun. It was insane. It was brutal. It was beyond brutal. The missionaries and Catholic Europe brought a great, great influence uh, to, to, the, to that country, to that nation, and developed a whole new different kind of people, a wonderful people. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm getting off, but I just, I, I can't. This, this, this is not a new story. Okay, if we can go back to Voltaire. Voltaire was a a Freemason. He was a, an agent of British imperialism. Was working to overthrow the Bourbon monarchy, yeah. and he wrote a book called Candide, uh, which was a big bestseller. Candide was his attempt to do a refutation of the Jesuit relations. Those those relations, those reports back from the New World were a bestseller in France. The stories of what the heroic uh, uh, actions of the French Jesuits in Canada, for example, uh, living among the Indians, sharing their hardships. Uh, but even more importantly, it was an attack on what the Jesuits were doing in Paraguay. He mentions Paraguay specifically. He, he, re he retails a number of the slanders that were uh, uh, floated against the Jesuits in Paraguay. Why did he do this? Because the Jesuits were creating a whole new civilization in Paraguay among the Guarani. Within a generation, they were they were making musical instruments and playing musical instruments. Before that, they were like my German ancestor, chasing pigs through the forest. There's a that's in Apocalypto, by the way, chasing pigs through the forest. So here is Voltaire, because he knew that he had to destroy the Jesuits. Uh, because they were the main obstacle for these people taking over France. He did. He did. He got this. It wasn't It wasn't uh, Voltaire specifically, but the Duc de Choiseul and the Marquis de Pombal went to Rome and they persuaded the Pope to suppress the Jesuits. It was yes. a tragedy for the Guarani Indians. If you want to watch the movie, it's called The Mission. 
which you get uh, Dan Berrigan's kind of uh, twisted version of this thing. But there's, there's enough of the original story to understand yes. what was going on there. This is the same. These are the descendants of Voltaire who are in control of the government in Canada, using the same type of propaganda to subjugate their own people by creating these mythic noble savages that had already completely assimilated. Give me a break. They didn't True. wear yes. headdresses like the one the Pope is wearing. <laughs> I guarantee you that. This, this is like, this is Hollywood's version of the yes. Indian. This is ridiculous. Yes. A, a classic example is when Marlon Brando won the, uh, won the, uh, the uh, Oscar for some movie or other. And he sends this woman up and she's Shaheen little feather. She's dressed in buckskin and she's got a feather sticking up out of her head. Well, actually her name was Maria Cruz and she was a Mexican. <laughs> you remember but, that, <laughs> but you stick a feather up there and suddenly yeah. she's this mythic figure and we can't disagree with her. And we can use this as a pretext to, to spit on the people who created the Canada that these people live in right now. If it weren't for the Jesuits, the Canadians would still be chasing pigs through the forest. Well said. Actually, well said. I take that really. back. I take that back. They would be chasing <laughs> moose through the forest, not pigs. Oh, you know, man. just as I'm agreeing with you, you take it back. What's the matter with you? <laughs> yes, <laughs> moose. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Well, I, I mean, did you think, you know, when we think of the great popes that we grew up with and, you know, I can always remember my parents just following everything that went on in the Vatican so closely. And, you know, we loved our popes. I mean, when Pope John Paul II came here in 1979, I mean, there were never the crowds that turned out for him in all of the places that we went we all remember that we always remember where we were exactly when he he came to say mass in the phoenix park in dublin and it's just we could never have imagined that we would end up with a pope like this it's it's actually heartbreaking for irish catholics and for all catholics yes i think it's, I, I think I, it's heartbreaking I, for for a lot of a lot of people not just irish catholics all over the world because one of the one of the great things that that our that our popes traditionally did uh, was they bolstered uh, they bolstered Catholicism against communism against atheistic communism, exactly. and this has just broken it all down. It's just broken that 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 uh, that that uh, that strength that we had to protest against communism, against what it was. This is opening opening everything up, saying that it's wonderful. Look at this. It does this. It does <clears> that. <throat> it's, I, I, have a, I have a real problem. I have a real problem with a lot of things happening. But. I think, I, I don't know whether we talked about this before, Gemma, but only a pope could do this to the church. And I think yeah. it, was, it, was, it was Pope Benedict that opened the door to this with his resignation. I think that had categories catastrophic catastrophic consequences for the church when when he resigned i just have a review uh in the next issue of uh this uh, issue of culture wars magazine a review of uh, Peter zaval's biography of the pope and how the whole thing basically circles around the old uh the um the williamson affair that was what destroyed the papacy the williamson, the williamson affair. affair being 
when when uh, Williamson, basically Bishop Williamson, uh, the Lefevrite, uh, the oh, yes. uh, bishop from the Society of Pius X, uh, was being interviewed uh, by a Swedish film team. Uh, this, he told me the story personally. Uh, basically, the film team interviews and a lot of blah, blah, blah questions. And then finally, uh, they're packing up their equipment. And the guy says, oh, by the way, how many people died in the Holocaust? And Williamson then goes on to say something, some number, list some number. They get it on film and then they hold it and they're waiting. And then as soon as Pope Benedict lifted the excommunication, every newspaper in the world, the next day, the headline is Pope allows Holocaust denier into the church. They, th this was the use of the Holocaust as a weapon against the Catholic Church by the man uh, uh, waged against the man who actually basically uh, imposed the Holocaust narrative on the church uh, through Vatican II. That's a long story, okay? But the fact of the matter is it was the Holocaust that wrecked the papacy because the church didn't know what to say. It was like one collective deer in the headlights just paralyzed. Oh, what do we say? And the result was the election of Francis and the rest is history. So I think we this this is part of what we have to uh, bring into account here. Otherwise, we're just going to get the all. We're just going to depress each other with more bad news every every week. The news is worse than the week before without ever understanding why it happened and how it happened. I know, I know, Father Charles, your thoughts. Uh, just end all with this. I have three very close friends, Jesuits. <laughs> Two of them, when I asked what they what they thought of this pope, and this is a not so long ago, two of them used the word exactly as as Dr. Dr. Jones did, catastrophic. One of them used the word abysmal. <laughs> this is this is this these are fellow Jesuits. I also knew I also knew another another Jesuit who's a professor of mine. I'll, I'll say his name. Uh, he's gone to God already anyway. Father John Navone. John Navoni was a professor at the Gregorian University, wrote many books. And as soon as the Pope was elected, Bergoglio was elected, he said that, that uh, his favorite theologian was John Navoni. And, and, and of course, John Navoni is listening to this, couldn't believe, he couldn't believe this. He said, especially his book on the theology of failure. <laughs> the theology of failure. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it, it didn't take long after one year, after 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 a year of of of, of his pontificate, John Navoni stopped giving interviews and stopped asking people to ask him about being the Pope's favorite theologian. He said, "No, no, I don't want any responsibility for anything, anything there." These are hard times. They're hard times. But I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this too. This is a good lesson for all of us. A good lesson for all of us Catholics to remember that the the president of this of this organization is Jesus Christ. The Pope might be his vice president, but the one who's really running the show is Jesus Christ. He will not be mocked. He will not be fooled. He will not be taken advantage of. Ultimately, he wins. Uh, it's a good lesson for all of us to to be mindful of that. Also, these are hard times. I suggest to to everybody that I know. Teach your children, teach your grandchildren catechism. 
Start with basic catechism, a Baltimore catechism, a simple catechism. Relearn the faith. We have three or four generations of people now who have no clue, no clue of their Catholic faith. Zero, none. Uh, it's it, That's got to stop. And when we say that the future of the church is the laity, absolutely it is. The laity have to take responsibility and they have to educate their children uh, according to the faith. This has to be done. It has to be done in families. It has to be done at home. Um, and they have to get into their That's what has to be done. And, and I'll, I'll tell you this. I have every faith in God that this is going to be remedied, this situation, soon. God will put order back into things. And it'll be a great experience, a teaching experience. We're going to learn a lot from this. We're going to learn a lot from this. It's going to be positive. Right now, it's not so positive. Soon it will be. Soon it will be. Because we'll be able to see, we'll be able to see the mistakes clearer in the future. I know that. I really believe that. And, and we have been promised that everything would be revealed. It's going to be very, very painful. But that is the assurance of God that the truth will be unveiled. Everything, all of the lies and all of the evil will be there for people to see and there's no question that we're in that phase now, I think. Michael, finally. Yes, well, as Ben Franklin once said, experience keeps an expensive school, but fools will learn in no other. So I guess we've all been condemned to learn in the expensive uh, school yeah. because we didn't pay attention to the wisdom of the people who went before us. Yes. Well said. Yes. Well said. And, and I think it is important that we do pray for Pope France because we, you know, I do in particular. I'm hard on him. Um, and, you know, he is an elderly man under the control of very, very evil people. And it's it's quite it's a bit like Biden. I mean, I'm, I'm not comparing Pope Francis to Biden. Obviously, the evil it's well, I suppose it's all relative. But, you know, you just look at President Biden. He's not president. You look at Biden and you just think, you know, it's just pitiful. You can only feel pity. Um, and they're they're relying on these elderly people to you know run their show effectively and to you know keep the charade going. It's pitiful. It is. It is. It is. I, I, I think this is a, this is an amazing time for me to be alive. But I didn't have a choice in the matter. <laughs> but I have both the church and the state are not making sense. No. Both the church and the state, present, present tense, are not making sense. Historically, yes, they make sense. In the truths that, that both have taught, they make sense, remarkable sense. I love mm. them both. But presently, uh, the pres at present, there's a lot of confusion. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to uh, uh, get through this storm, as we all are. And at the end, we're going to see uh, clouds parting, sun coming out. Hope is there. You'll see. You'll see a, a, something positive. Very positive is going to come of this. I mean that. I really do believe that. I really do believe that. So hang in there. Hang in there. Just wait. Just wait. And, and I'll tell you something else. Just as a last, a last thought too. None. Not one thing of the Catholic faith has changed. No. Now, one of the truths that the Church has always taught has changed. They remain. And that's what we have to get through to our children, grandchildren, really, truly. 
And, and I, I keep saying just one more thing. Just one more thing. We could listen <laughs> to you all thing. night. There wasn't that uh, 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 Inspector Colombo, right? One last thing. One last. One last question. <laughs> Was grandparents? Grandparents. Let me speak to grandparents for a moment. Grandparents, wake up. Be grandparents. Be good grandparents. Teach your grandchildren the Catholic faith. They come over, take advantage of them coming over to visit, sit down with them five, 10 minutes, explain to them this, explain to them that, ask them to memorize some prayers. These kids, kids have memories that are fantastic. Uh, get them to use them, teach them the faith. I'm going to tell you something, they'll learn the faith and they'll never forget you. They'll never forget you for, for teaching them that faith. Exactly. You'll be in, you'll be in their, their, their souls until they, uh, even after they die. Right. That's, Absolutely. that's my homily for the day. I'm in. That, that is so true. So true. So um, you both have books out currently at the moment. Um, Michael, is yours, is it actually been released? I know you had some issues with the printer. Still having issues with the printer, but we have a release okay. date. The dangers of beauty, uh, the conflict between mimesis and concupiscence in the fine arts uh, is now scheduled for shipping on August 4th, August 5th, oh, sorry, fantastic. August 5th. And, and people in Ireland can get it through culturewars.com. Go to culturewars.com and you yeah. can buy it there online, yes. In fidelitypress.org, where all as well, you can go to the link there on culturewars.com. Right. It, it will be there. Fantastic yeah. books are there. And what a selection, what a selection. And then murder in the 33rd degree, uh, the Gagnon investigation into Vatican Freemasonry is your new book, Father Charles. It's doing very well, I know, in Catholic circles and far beyond. Because I mean, You know, I've, I've got to tell you, though, it's funny. It's funny, Gemma, because just the other day, someone contacted me, a, a, a Catholic uh, writer, uh, uh debunked the entire thing he said that there was no there was no investigation gagnon did no investigation nothing happened this or the other i said, I said well then I, I must have been living in a dream for three years because he was i took i took him to all of these things and everything the book is doing very well i'm 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 glad and a lot of people have written really really sincere i mean i was amazed the letters i haven't i haven't gotten any i don't want to say i haven't gotten a negative letter because i will if, if i say that but uh, most people are read this book and they're very happy to finally be understanding some of what happened, some things that happened that explain today, that explain where we are today, how we got here. Not all, but some, some very important things. So yes, I, I'm, I'm very happy with it and I'm very happy with, uh, with how it's being received. And thank yeah. you for, thank you for pushing it. Oh, not at all. I mean, people have a fascination with this subject now, which is wonderful. And they're able to understand what has happened to our world because of, of your book and other books. A little like bit, it. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I hope I so. so. So, That's Father, before idea. we finish, would you mind doing your a, a prayer just to give us a blessing and um, to pray for, for everyone who's in trouble at the moment and find Absolutely. I've, I've, I've got one last thing, and I promise it's the last thing for Dr. Jones. 
after I read uh, Logos Rising, I was so I was so impressed with that. I, re I really the scholarship in, uh, in, in that in that book is magnificent. And so many of the things that I had studied uh, as a, as a, a, in preparation for the priesthood, I had kind of forgotten. And that book, Logos Rising, brought them back to life again. And you know, Michael, I was I was after I was in the middle of this book, <laughs> and I was saying mass, and I say the Tridentine Mass at the at the end of the mass. We have the last gospel, and I got to the last gospel, and I said, uh, uh, "Sequentia sante inizio sante Vangeli secondo Juan Gloria ti benomine in principio era logos." <laughs> and I, I didn't even realize I had said it. <laughs> In principio, you had a logos. It's it's better that way. It's better, Father. You improved actually, the Latin. Actually, it is. Actually, it is. Yeah. Anyway, but but thank you very much. Thank you, the two of you, for having me on the program. I, I appreciate oh, it. Oh, thank you, and please God, we'll do this again because I know that you've a lot of a lot of supporters in Ireland who love to hear from you. And thank you to everyone who is in the chat. This evening, you may be neglected. The chat is absolutely flying up. So apologies to everyone that I didn't get to read it, but I think you're more interested in listening to these two wonderful gentlemen. So please do join me again soon, I hope. Um, Father, you might just give us your, your blessing, if you wouldn't absolutely. mind, before we finish. Amen. God bless you both. God bless the audience. God bless us all. And keep the faith. Huh? Keep the faith. Absolutely. Okay. Good night to both of you. Thank you so much. It's been a really wonderful stream. And I know everyone has enjoyed it. And we will speak again soon. Good night, Father. Good night, Michael. Good and night. Good night. Good night. Thank good you night. very much. Good night, Take Jenna. care. God bless.